So, story time. <laughs> I think this was two weeks ago. Um, I had a day where um, I had Sky. I have one day a week where I'm home with Sky, and I decided this day we'd do something a little different, and I would take her first thing in the morning. After we dropped the kids off at school, I would take my youngest, and we'd go to insomnia and have a little coffee date, because, you know, kids love to go do the things that, that mum and dad do. So uh, I, we, we get home, I get her ready. She puts on this pretty little dress, um, and looked all beautiful, and we go to the coffee shop, and I have this dream of what it's going to be like when we get there. But here's what happened. You pull out of my house, you take a left, you turn right onto Boric, and you hit a light, and there's a shell garage right there, and I'm at the light waiting to turn left, and that light is quite a long red light. And so all of a sudden, we hit this moment where the light turns green, and I start to drive, and as I'm driving, I notice that the truck that is coming here is coming very, very, very fast. And so I have a moment to decide, do I try and brake and hope the person sees me, or do I try and put my foot down and go flying through the junction so that this person doesn't hit me? So I opt for the latter, I put my foot down, I fly through the junction, and as I'm turning around the corner, I see the truck slam on its brakes and slide right across where I would have been. It was a woman texting on her cell phone. And I tell you, my response was, I'm looking at her and I'm like, I want, I'm going to stop my car. I'm going to get out. I'm going to knock on her window and I'm going to say, get out of that car and come and look at the face and the back seat of my car because she almost died because of your text messaging. Was your text message more important than her life? I didn't do it. <laughs> You can tell, you see the anger, right? Building up. I'm like, oh. Uh, and I drove, and the whole way I'm driving, I'm like, oh, God, help me. Bless that woman. Keep her safe. I'm like, taking deep breaths. I'm, I'm weeping a bit. I was like, I almost lost my daughter. She would have plowed right into where Sky was sitting in the back of the car. And I, by the time I get to insomnia, my heart's starting to slow down. But that's what happens. These moments of angst inside of me. You know, when, um, when I started this series... Uh, called vices. I would have told you that the, the issues that I deal with the most, and I've said this, are vainglory and envy. So I care about how I look and how I appear, uh, and that causes me to compare myself with other people. So what I would say today is those two are probably the most obvious things I deal with that I deal with on a regular basis and I'm aware of. If there's one of these vices that's the one that's most insidious and has tricked me into thinking it's not an issue, I would say it's probably this one as evidenced by my reaction, even retelling the story, right? It stirs something up inside of me. So we're looking at vices. So we've been working with the same definition all the way through. What is a vice? It's a habit or a character trait which inclines us towards a certain type of action. So these are the sins that the church has looked at historically and said these are the ones that are the biggest ruts that fuel so much of the other brokenness in our life. And so we've been looking one at a time at these habits. Neurologists have told us, I've said this before, I'm going to repeat it again, neurologists have told us that what happens in our brain is when we're thinking and acting, there are these electrical signals that run through our brain to animate our life. And what happens is with repeated activity and repeated practice, your brain forms a pathway that is the shortest way to get from what you're feeling to the, 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 the action that's needed in response to that. And so what happens in our life as we build these habits, uh, 
often they're not good habits that create these pathways in our mind that default us towards certain ways of rebelling against the Lord. And scripture tells us that we're born with this thing that we call original sin. We're born broken and we're born with neural pathways that automatically incline us back to ourselves rather than to him and to the people around about us. So we're slowly working our way through. We're almost to the end of these vices, these ruts that we get stuck in that fuel all of the issues uh, that we battle with. So the one we're looking at today is wrath. Uh, and defining this simply, it is anger that's directed to its own selfish cause. So anger directed to a selfish cause. Um, I'm going to show some pictures. You know, we're, in some sense, we see this at work all the time. So here's a picture of wrath at work in the world. Um, how many news articles and stories are there of protests and violence and wars happening around the world? Uh, even in recent history, we've had a whole bunch of protests and violent action here in the Portland metro area. And, and in those moments, you have, in, in all of the protest events that happen around the world, you have some people that are genuinely motivated by injustice to protest and see something change. It may be their version of what's injustice, but they feel done wrong again and they want to do something about it. And then you have this other group of people who deal with anger and they use these opportunities uh, or, or these, these events as platforms for their own anger. And so every time you see protests, you've got one group of people advocating for something important. You've got people like this that just decide destruction is what I'm going to do. And, and, and they, uh, they override the good things that are happening to bring change, uh, to, to bring disaster and, 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 and cause damage and destruction and fires and hurting people. Um, anger is at work in, in both of those situations, actually. Um, but I don't imagine many of you here were out destroying buildings in downtown Portland. I don't imagine many of you here, I'm going to say many, have incited a war. I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's in your past. I just don't want to assume. Um, so let's look at a picture that is a little closer to home. Uh, anyone ever assumed this posture as you're driving along the road? Just think about that moment when someone cuts you off as you're driving, when someone blocks your path, uh, when you're driving home and a truck is jackknifed and you're stuck there for six and a half hours with your kids. That happened to someone in our church. Um, really what's happening with road rage, what's road rage? It's when the other people on the road are not driving according to your standard for how driving should happen, right? Yeah. So they're driving too fast or they're driving too slow or they're hogging the fast lane that you were just hogging, but now you need to get past, uh, or they're not blinking enough, or they're blinking too early, or they're breaking too late, or they're breaking too quickly. Um, we have these standards in our head of what this should be, and something inside us get irked when that standard breaks. Uh, I've got a son who's very inquisitive. Uh, I remember one day driving in the car. I don't remember what happened right before the question, but I remember there were two questions. Uh, in complete innocence and curiosity, the first one was, what is an idiot? And what made that person an idiot? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, jeepers, I should probably watch what I'm saying as I'm driving uh, down the road. Now, isn't it interesting, though, that you will get really mad when someone cuts you off or pulls out in front of you, but then five minutes later, you'll turn a corner and cause someone else to break down, and it's like, oh, sorry. 
Like that, that one was okay. That was just my error. But that one was someone being deliberately malicious and getting in the way of my driving journey. We know those moments of anger that build up. Uh, here's another picture from popular media. Um, anger is an issue for all of us. If you've not seen the movie Inside Out by Pixar, um, I'd highly encourage it. It's a beautiful exploration of, of the emotions that we deal with and what it looks like to be attentive to our emotional journey. But all of us have these moments uh, where anger boils up. It could be an injustice that you see. It could be watching your child getting bullied. It could be that you have a goal that you're aiming for and someone else is just standing in the way and not allowing you to get and accomplish what you want. It could be that you're looking at politics and going, I hate what's going on, and we get angry inside. All of us are dealing with these things all the time. Wrath is anger that's directed towards its own selfish cause. And with all of these vice issues, we've talked about a spectrum with two extremes. So it's important to remember that there are two extremes to anger. On one side of the equation, it's those visual outbursts that happen when you blow up because of something that's going on and you have a very visceral, immediate reaction. That's one version of anger. The other one, which is the one that probably happens more often, is the inner resentment and the bitterness and the steaming on things that happens inside of us. One of them results in the blow up and one of them results in passive aggressiveness as we move through the world. So you've got to ask yourself the question, which extreme do you gravitate to? Are you someone that visibly outbursts a lot? Are you someone that walks with these inner resentments building? Uh, Before we go further, there's a couple of important caveats that I want to give because we're going to address the vice of wrath, but this is important to remember. Anger is a valid emotion, right? Look at Ephesians just briefly. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. So that verse is saying it's possible to be angry without sinning, but be careful because in your anger, you will most often be led into sin. You know, there is a version of Christianity that says anger is never okay. If you're angry, something is wrong, uh, you shouldn't have that. And what happens, and what's happened for a lot of time, especially in the evangelical church, is uh, we teach people to suppress and hide their anger. Anyone has an angry outburst or voices an opinion, you're like, oh, that's not appropriate. You're supposed to be humble and gentle. And so we see you're feeling something, squash it. We've had uh, movements in the history of the church where uh, the work of social justice, getting out there and and fixing the needs in the society becomes primary. Um, And then there's moments where we go, well, that's too liberal, so we're going to stand on the Bible. And when you feel a justice issue, be careful if you voice it because that makes you a liberal. And so then we go, I've got to squash down this emotion I feel and hide it uh, because people are going to accuse me of being something. We know how this goes, right? Suppressed anger never turns out well. And for lots of us in the room, there are brokennesses in your life that you're dealing with, destroyed relationships that you're facing because of anger that you've held on to and not dealt with. Some of us on the other end were the victims of that, um, where other people have held on to their resentments and their deep angers, and then one day they blow up at us in a way that's really hurtful. Anger that's hidden never goes well. We have to learn to deal with anger 
And I don't know your experience, but I would say in the churches I've been in, I don't know that I've ever seen a church healthily deal with anger. Um, anger is a valid emotion. Another part that validates that statement is we look at all the scriptures that talk about God getting angry. We have a God who gets angry at injustice. We have a God who gets angry at sin and rebellion against him. And he's a God who's without sin. And we'll see in a minute what that anger is and why his anger is good, but ours is not. So if anger is a valid emotion, caveat number two, we need to learn to express it in healthy ways. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Insinuates that there's stuff you can do between the moment of offense and bedtime to help alleviate that anger in a way that doesn't involve sin. We need to learn healthy ways to deal with it. You can read quickly through Psalms. You'll see the emotion of anger expressed. You'll see declarations about God's anger towards those who rebel against them. Um, You'll see in there. And and praying through Psalms is a healthy way to deal with our anger. We're going to talk more about that as we get closer to the end of the message. But I want to bring it up at the beginning. I don't want to teach this message and have people saying, well, I should never feel any kind of anger inside. There is an anger that is good. There is an anger that is healthy. uh, But there's a healthy way to deal with that anger. For simplicity... I want to consider just two ways that anger is expressed. So on one side of this, you've got righteous anger. Righteous anger is anger that reacts to injustice in the world. And so when when someone abuses a child and we get angry, we should get angry because that's not okay. When someone is wrongfully killed, we should get angry because that is not okay. But there's another type of anger that's an unrighteous anger, and this anger is protecting itself. This is the anger that goes, I wanted to get from here to there. I left too late. I drove down the road. I'm having to speed a little bit. And this person is going slower than I want. You're going to make me late. (laughs) Really? (laughs) These are confessions of a pastor, right? These are things that have come out of my mouth. I'm making me late. I'm the one that is making me late. Uh, There are all sorts of ways that we build up our false self, our false sense of self, our identity, our worth, our ideas. And any time those things get challenged is when our unrighteous anger wells up. Um, It's anger that's always expressed when things don't go our way. Let let me give you a way to think about righteous anger and distinguish it from the unrighteous anger. Um, Righteous anger has justice as the object and love as the root. So it is possible to get angry at injustice in a sinful way because you're doing it in a way that doesn't have love at the root. So whenever you look at scripture and you see the anger of God, it is towards injustice that is happening and his reaction is always out of love for what he's created. Sadly, when we are angry, it's rarely injustice that's the root of it. And most of the time, the way that we express it has nothing to do with love whatsoever. Righteous anger always has justice as the object and love at its root. So now stating the obvious, we are most prone to unrighteous anger, right? We're just going to admit it. We may say we're righteously angry, but most of the time we're prone to what is unrighteous. We might have moments where they are righteous and we see injustice and our heart is broken. 
more often we'll have moments where injustice sparks something in us and it starts as righteous anger but then triggers something in us that moves it into unrighteous anger. And most often what you will experience inside if you examine your emotional responses is an anger that doesn't honor God. Um, Anger can masquerade. There are things in your life that you do that pretend they're holy and righteous when actually they're just anger masked. One of them is the pursuit of justice. There are a lot of people in the world who are fighting for justice issues, not so much because they want to rectify the issue, but because they want to hurt the people that did injustice to them. There are people out there that, that like with the protests that go on, there are people that go out just to cause destruction under the guise of justice. Um, Anger masquerades itself in sarcastic humor. Those comments that you make about people, how they look, what they said, things the government does, certain types of Christians, those sarcastic moments often betray the anger that you walk in. Anger masquerades in strong opinions. I just have strong opinions, is what we say. When actually we're angry about stuff and we just don't have healthy mechanisms to deal with it. And so we walk through the world walloping people with the opinions that we have. Uh, And sometimes you'll see anger masquerade itself in the need for control. I need everything the right way. That's right. When you're driving down the road, anger at the end of the day is people are not working according to the structure that you think they should. It's the desire to control things that hides our anger. I want to look at a few scriptures. I'm going to fly through these. I'm going to start in Proverbs um, and just look at some of the things the Bible warns us about with anger. Um, Proverbs is a great book with this. It always associates the angry person with the fool. Um, so I'm not going to give commentary, but let's read through some of these and, and just whet our appetite for what scripture wants to caution us about. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Now, I want to make a little comment there. This is the danger of social media, right? We get whirled up by the echo chamber that we've built. And little side note. I was looking at uh, all the stuff about the revival happening out in Kentucky, and, uh, and I was just really blown away by all the positive things that people were saying. And there was one day I Facebook and I, I had this realization. I've not, I don't think I've seen a single negative post. Everyone is positive. That probably means I've somehow silenced people's voices on Facebook that are saying the opposite thing. And so I started Googling critiques of the revival, and man, there's plenty. Somehow, subconsciously, I've built an echo chamber of people who agree with me. It's not been done intentionally, um, but it happens. Uh, And so what happens in those arenas is we surround ourselves by people that are angry about the same issues as us. And rather than helping us deal constructively with injustice in the world, it just fuels anger and causes us to be even more sinful and bitter and hurtful as we walk through the world. A few more in Proverbs. Proverbs 29 has a little chunk of them all together. Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. Fools give vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot 
tempered person commits many sins. If you jump into the New Testament, here's a couple of exhortations away from wrath or unrighteous anger. Paul to the Ephesians, get rid of all the bitterness, rage and anger and brawling and slander along with all the forms of malice. They're all tied together, all sins that come from this root of wrath. James, as he's writing, James is a lot like Proverbs. He gives all of these statements of wisdom. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. If you feel like your righteousness is going to, your anger is going to produce some righteous output, According to James, that's not going to happen. So when it comes to figuring out the form and the root of anger in our life, there's a simple question that you can ask yourself. And it's, why am I angry? Anger is this emotion that is typically quite a visceral response. It's tied to our limbic system. It's tied to our fight and flight response. So when I was driving in the car and the car almost hit us, that's, that's, I'm in fight mode inside. Anger's tied there. So there's, a, there's an automatic visceral thing that happens inside of us. Often we don't then stop because we're worked up, we're dysregulated. Often we don't stop to say, well, why was I angry? In part, in that situation, I was angry because my daughter could have lost her life. I was probably angry because I've used my phone when I was driving and I could have hurt someone else. I was probably as angry at myself as I was with that person. But did I, do you stop in those moments of anger and say, why am I angry? What's triggering this? Is my anger righteous and about justice? Or is my anger unrighteous and about something in myself that is wrong and needs to change? What is built up in me? What have I held on to that's causing this to be an issue? Do we ask the question? So especially in the moments where you feel triggered, stop and ask the question, why am I angry? And pay attention to what's going on deep inside. So if it's not painful enough so far, let's go to the painful part, right? (laughs) Perhaps like me, uh, you're going, you know, I'm not really an angry person. This is not my issue. So let's look at some of the symptoms of anger in a person. Irritability. So that's I have a short fuse. Hanging on to resentments. Holding offenses. Being passive aggressive. Giving someone the silent treatment. Sarcasm. Undermining comments. A critical spirit. The word that I use a lot, I'm just frustrated. I'm not angry, I'm frustrated. Um, You start imagining revenge, like the moment in the car. What was my revenge? I want you to feel just as angry as I do now by looking at the face of my daughter and feeling horrible about what you did. That's my revenge. Um, We start feeling physically tense. You notice your breathing gets shallow. You tense up your muscles. You clench your fists. We see it in bullying and put downs and aggression and in the divisiveness that in the church we are so guilty of fueling. And you know this when you have a frustration with someone or something and rather than talking to God and going to the source, the first thing you do is bring it up with someone else. So if you're someone who, when you're frustrated, gathers support from the people around about you, you're dealing with anger. Uh, Ella, 
I wish I could remember what it was that happened when she brought this question up, but I remember her asking me a question one day that stopped me in my tracks. She looked at me, she's like, Daddy, did you mean that for nice or for mean? And I was like, dang, I meant that for mean. So one of the things you can do with yourself this week as you're reflecting back on what we're talking about is as you say things or as you do things, as you're being silent, uh, as you're making a comment, as you're gathering people together to carry some support for how you feel, ask yourself the question, is it for nice or is it for mean? Uh, I looked at, read a lot of uh, psychology articles about passive aggressive behavior. And why am I going to focus on this right now? Because here's the deal. In the church, what has typically happened, as I said at the beginning, is we've told people anger is not okay. And then some of us just personality wise, we don't like conflict. And so we squash it all. And so then we operate in a way that is passive aggressive. It's the primary way that we unhealthily deal with our anger. So here's what some psychologists said are the specific signs of passive aggressive anger. Resentment and opposition to the demands of others, especially the demands of people in authority. Resistance to cooperation, procrastination, or intentions in response to someone else's demands, cynical, sullen, or hostile attitudes, or frequent complaints about feeling underappreciated or cheating, cheated. I know when I read that list, I could think through some events in my life where I have stubbornly not done what was asked of me, where I've deliberately not done it the right way just to spite the person because I felt like my way was better, Uh, those passive-aggressive ways that we operate in the world. So I want to just look at four ways that wrath does damage. We've focused a lot on the internal. I want to focus on the way wrath does damage externally. So the first one, uh, wrath opposes love. You look at 1 Corinthians 13, that beautiful passage that articulates what love is supposed to look like. There's a statement tucked in there. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love and anger don't go together most of the time unless it's loving people and fighting for justice the way God does it so often. So anger can be paralleled with love, but wrath is the selfish version of anger. So it's always opposed to love. Um, Funny image for you. Um, If you're one of those people that likes to wade in that argument, should you use a literal translation or a dynamic translation of the Bible? So something that's word for word or something that takes a little bit of liberty. Please know that every translation we read is taking liberty. And one of the ways we know this, one of my favorite images in scripture in Hebrew. So Exodus 34, 6 says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, long of nose, and abounding in love and faithfulness. God has a long nose, is the image in scripture used to say he's long-suffering. He's slow to anger. Uh, So whenever you read that phrase in scripture, it literally says God has a long nose. I I wanted to put up some pictures of that, but it was just just ridiculous. Um, God has a long nose. God is slow to anger. He's a God who reacts with anger to injustice and to sin, but he's really clear. He's extraordinarily patient with us. He's very slow to get angry, uh, and, and his kindness abounds toward us. But we walk in the world rather than like God being slow to anger, rather than being here with long noses, 
We're typically quick to be offended. We keep record of wrong. We get angry very easily. And it prevents us from loving the very people that God is calling us to love. And, and that prevention is happening inside the walls of the church, right? This church had a history of squashing resentments, not dealing with, with, with the conflicts and just resenting one another and clickiness in the walls. And that has gradually been broken down, which is something that we should be celebrating, right? But it can happen inside the walls of the church where we don't love one another. It can happen within our families. Wrath is one of those things, the slow resentments that build up that destroy marriages. Or it happens as we go out in the world because you decide, I'm angry at what this group of people are doing I don't like their politics. I don't like their way of working in the world. I don't like their lifestyle. I don't like their choices. I, I don't like their systems. And so rather than being people who operate in love, we oppose them and we bully them and we berate them and we criticize them. And the love that we're supposed to express doesn't happen. I want to make sure in here that I give the opposite side of this because it doesn't mean that we should let everything go and never confront anything. Uh, it, it, this is not about passivity. You've got the statement as Matthew is describing the kind of discipline process in the church. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between two of you. And if you listen to them, you've won them over. So it's really clear, like when anger comes up, our responsibility is to go to the person and address the issue. Confrontation is part of a loving relationship. It's why God disciplines his people. We're supposed to be able to confront address issues, talk it out, and continue to walk forward in love. Wrath fuels division. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill, you covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you're not asking him. James is clear, division is happening inside of us. Unmet desires that cause us to be against the people around about us. I think this is Satan's primary instrument that he uses against the churches. He loves division in the church because it stops us modeling to the world the love of God and the unity that he's supposed to be about. Think about this. When someone lovingly confronts you, rather than allowing it to be an instrument of division, think about the fact that their confrontation might be out of love especially if you know that they're not a naturally combative person, look at them and say, you know, that's hard to hear, but thank you for loving me enough to bring it to my attention and leave it at that. See if we can allow uh, our humility to bring unity rather than wrath fuel division. Wrath invites judgment. This is a scary one. Matthew 5, we're going to look through this passage in two chunks. But Matthew, uh, Jesus is talking on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, don't murder. And if you murder, you'll be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So according to that, what's the consequence of some of the things you see in the car? <laughs> our anger is equated to murder, and our anger brings God's righteous anger and his discipline toward us. It inflicts, uh, it inflicts some judgment. You've got these moments in Scripture where, where God talks about, be careful that you forgive others, lest I don't forgive you. 
And when we hold our anger against someone else while receiving the forgiveness of God, we're essentially spitting in his face, right? I want your forgiveness. I'm not going to give it to someone else. I'm going to spit in the face of the forgiveness that you've offered me. Uh, Finally, uh, wrath affects our worship. And this is the continuation of that same passage. Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar, so let's not think Old Testament sacrifices. I want you to think they're worshiping. If you're here to worship and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and worship. How many times do we sit in a room like this where we pray and we worship together while harboring resentments towards the people sitting next to us? God's word to his people is stop worshiping, deal with the issue, which is the greater worship, And then when you've resolved that, come back and worship. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way to worship. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Scary words. There's this other moment that's a heartbreaking moment in the story of the prodigal son where we see anger and resentment at place. So in the prodigal story, you get a son who says to his dad, hey, I wish you were dead. I want all your money now. So I'm gonna go and live this lavish lifestyle. So his dad is like, sure, gives him his inheritance. He goes, spends it on prostitutes and all sorts of ridiculous parties and gets to this point where he hits rock bottom. He has no food, no money, no family. He's eaten out a pig trough. And he has this moment where he says, you know, in my father's house, even the servants have more than this. So I'll go back home and I'll just be a servant in his house. I'll be better off than what I'm doing right now. And as he makes his way home, this whole time, his dad is waiting for him. And every day he's going up on the roof looking for his son. And he sees his son coming down the road. And the dad runs out to greet him. My son's come home. Throw a party. This kid that didn't want me now wants me again. Let's celebrate. Go get the animal, cook a huge barbecue, invite all the neighbors. And all of a sudden, his older brother disappears. And what does it say? Meanwhile, the older son's in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Celebrations going on. He called one of the servants and said, what's going on? The answer, your brother came home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he wants a barbecue for the son who's safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He became angry and refused to go in. Remember, this is an image of our relationship with God. Our anger can stop us from engaging in the intimacy with him that we're invited into. But I love the next sentence, right? God doesn't say, well, you stay out there. You're done. The father went out and pleaded with him. Don't be angry. Like, I've always loved you. I care for you. Come in and celebrate with us. Many of us are much more like the older brother in the story than we are like the prodigal son. We stand in a place of judgment and we allow that to limit the affection that we can express toward the father and limit the affection that we can receive from him. So what's the cure? What are some things we can do to move forward and, and, and rid ourselves of this vice that so easily entangles. The first one, I'd encourage you this week, this, this sounds silly, but I promise you, if you were to do this this week, it would be very revelatory. Keep an anger journal. 
This week, every time something gets you angry, stop and write down, why was I angry? What happened? What triggered it? Where might that be rooted? Was my response appropriate for the level of the offense that happened? And then over the course of the week, be attentive. Like, are there patterns in what I'm experiencing? Uh, And it may reveal some woundedness, some unresolved pain, some wrong views of the world that you then need to deal with. Part two, release your anger. There are lots of healthy ways to do this that don't involve hurting people. My mom would counsel a lot of people that had been very, very damaged. Uh, We lived by the ocean, and so one of her common exercises or prescriptions she would give to people is like sometime this week, drive down to the beach and scream at the ocean. Just let it all out. Just rage at the sea. Sometimes just go fishing. Get away, relax, sit in a hot tub, take a walk, play some music, make some music, sit in silence, pay attention to your breathing, talk to God. Daniel's a big advocate of get out there and just pace around the building and just scream at him, shout, vocalize it to him. There are healthy ways to release the anger that we feel. If we don't acknowledge it as anger and we don't release it, we suppress it and it will do damage to you and to others. As part of releasing anger is lament. We've done a poor job in the West of teaching this. We have to grieve what is lost. Lament is saying, I hate what happened, but God, you are good. You read the Psalms of Lament, this happened and that happened, that happened, yet I will trust you because you're a good and faithful God. As we uncover the brokenness of our life, whether that's through anger journaling, whether that's through counseling, sitting with a friend over coffee, as we identify the things we've lost, we have to grieve those, weep over them, tell God that this was painful in order to move on. That will lead to the next one, forgive. We're told to keep short accounts Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it today. We forgive because he's forgiven us. And we've said this lots of times here. Forgiveness is not the person is off the hook. Forgiveness is I'm letting myself off of the hook so that they no longer control my inner state. I'm going to trust God to bring judgment. And lastly, practice hope. We pray for a better future. We look for the silver lining We celebrate the small victories in the middle of the damage. We celebrate the healing. We look for the people out there that are doing it right. And we praise God for those things that we see. Wrath is anger directed towards its own selfish ends. Do you want to be an instrument of love? Or do you want to be fixed on yourself, bitter in the world, and preventing people from seeing the love of Christ in you? and through you. Let me pray. Um, God, thank you for the truth of scripture that you have a righteous wrath directed towards injustice and directed towards sin. Thank you for the truth that you're slow to anger, but then this amazing truth that you, Jesus, were willing to come, take all of our sin and our resentments upon yourself. You were willing on the cross to endure all of the wrath of God poured out on you in order that sin would be defeated, that the Spirit would indwell us, 
and that we'd be brought back into right relationship with God where his love would permeate us and your spirit would overcome the brokenness in us. We thank you for the gospel. God, we can't fix these things without it. So God, would you let the life of Christ live in us and flow through us? And would you make us more patient and more humble and more gentle to show your love to the world around us in Jesus' name? So I want to do what we've done every sermon so far in this series. Turn to people at the table next to you. Grab someone. What's something that God stirred in you or convicted you of during that sermon? Share it with them and then pray for each other. And then out of that, we'll jump back into worship.